This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Former Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best has a new book out where she talks about leadership and many of her life experiences. And with March being Women's History Month, it is only appropriate to have a conversation with a modern trailblazer and history maker in her own right. Which is more to talk about her book, leadership, and more is former Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for having me this morning. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Carmen, first of all, it's, it's great to talk to you, and I know many people in our listening audience uh, want to know uh, what you've been up to uh, since retiring from the SPD. So uh, if briefly you can give us a, uh, a synopsis of kind of, you know, what you've been doing in the last, you know, year, year or so, year and a half. Yeah, well, retirement has been busy, to be honest with you. I've uh, spent a lot of time, um, you know, I've first I've been working at a, private security company uh, on one of their large global accounts, just helping there. And then I spent some time working with MSNBC as one of their uh, law enforcement analysts, and I'm still doing that. Uh, right now they're focused obviously on the major crisis that's happening in the Ukraine. Uh, and then um, still chairing the Human and Civil Rights Committee for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And... Um, you know, being a grandmother, I had another grandchild born, and, uh, you know, just trying to make sure that I stay busy. And What's that? I say congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Very excited about it. Very fun. So th- that's been really it. I've been, I've been working, still staying uh, relatively involved, but on the outside, so to speak, of sort of some of these emerging police issues. Uh, but, you know, also um, working and um, staying busy. Well, that's good to hear. And I'm uh, sure our listening audience is, is very pleased with that update. Sounds like you've been very busy and very productive and do a lot of, still doing a lot of the positive things in the community. Yeah. Uh, Carmen, yeah, I care uh, very much about the Seattle community, Chris, and you know that. Yep. <laughs> Carmen, let's talk a little bit, uh, with that, without giving away everything, but let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh, because I know you put a lot of uh, time and energy into it. Uh, but briefly, uh, give us the name of the book and tell us why you wrote it. Yeah, of course. Uh, glad to do that. Uh, the book is called Black and Blue, Leadership Lessons on Breaking Barriers and Racial Reconciliation. And I wrote it, I was reflecting as I had a really... Um, Quite a busy 2020, as you know, with between the 
you know, mass shooting downtown, the pandemic, the murder of George Floyd, the subsequent protest, uh, the beginning of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone that turned into the Capitol Hill Organized Protest, and then uh, all of the defund movement and the, um, the mandate to lay off many of the officers. It was a pretty strenuous year, and I was after I retired, I was really reflecting on some of that and wanted to write about it, not about it per se, but about the lessons learned and just how so many of the things that happen in our life lead us to these really impactful uh, milestone moments. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who has those reflections. So I wrote a book uh, talking about those different various issues. And then at the end of each chapter, uh, it gives some questions and some thoughts so people can reflect how that impacts them or how they may have gone through some of those situations. I think it's just a way of sharing information and sort of uh, validating our experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Carmen, let's talk a little bit about your plight in life because you talked about life experiences, kind of what they lead to. Most of us are aware of, uh, of your climbing of the ranks of the Seattle Police Department. But tell us a little bit about Carmen Best before she became a police officer and what really set the stage for you to enter the field of law enforcement. Yeah, you know, I mentioned that in uh, Black and Blue, uh, the first few chapters really have nothing to do with policing, but, you know, just different experiences that I had growing up, you know, uh, being raised in, um, you know, and fortunately for me anyway, a two-parent family, a little bit about what my dad was like and my mom and, uh, work, you know, playing and growing up with my brothers and sister, uh, going into the military, uh, being, you know, in high school, some of the relationships I developed there, uh, some of the issues we were dealing with there as a very young person. Uh, and, you know, many of those friends that I talk about, I still talk to today. You know, I went to Lincoln High School in Tacoma, so we're all just scattered around, many of us around this local area, and have remained friends for, you know, 40 years. So it, it's really been a little bit of that is how it starts out. And I'm um, just talking about family life and the fact that, you know, our world at that age anyway, it's really relatively small uh, around your neighborhood, especially back then before social media and all that, is your neighborhood, your church, your schoolmates, um, and then how that broadened and expanded when I went into the military and served in the Army, uh, you know, getting to know people from all over the country, uh, with many varying different backgrounds and ethnicities and beliefs and how that, you know, can kind of shape you as well. And then moving into, you know, after the military, working in the private industry before uh, coming onto the police department. And really with no um, certain expectation of what that was going to be. As I said, many people, I would say 90% of my classmates uh, in the academy, in the police academy, said that they wanted to be a police officer since as long as they could remember. And I was just not one of those people. I was there. I served in the military. I thought that this might be a natural transition, but, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd be there the next day, to be honest with you. But I wanted to, you know, uh, you know, try out this new experience and this new job. And I ended up staying for you know, almost 30 years. Mm. And... Carmen, let's talk a little bit about leadership because you talk about this uh, throughout your book. And we've all heard the phrase about 
uh, being born to lead. And yet there are those who believe that leadership is something that is learned and developed and others who believe that it's something that is refined uh, over time. In law enforcement, leadership is uh, very important. And I know that you've encountered many leaders in, with very different styles. But, you know, in your opinion, what is it about leaders who actually um, lead other leaders that make them stand out above the rest? What are some of those characteristics? Yeah, thank you for asking that, Chris. I often uh, will say, because people, you know, will say it's you're born to lead. And I think in some cases people just have that innate um, ability yeah, and skill set that helps them to be good leaders. I do think that that exists. Um, but I think it's both and. I also think that many of the qualities that are needed uh, to be a leader can be learned, too. Some of that is through just literally reading and learning about leadership. And some of that is through watching good leaders and what they do and how they treat people uh, and and how that manifests itself into good good leadership skills that you you'd want to be with that person or follow that person and listen to them. So um, I have had the great fortune of meeting so many good leaders over time. I only picked out a few to write about in my book, Black and Blue, but the truth of the matter is so many people, they have great leadership skills. And things that are really important, at least in my view, is they have to have empathy uh, and care uh, for people. People can, people can detect very quick a person is, you know, to use a colloquial term, you know, plastic. You know, they're just not real. They're, they're not authentic. Uh, so leaders have to be authentic. You have to genuinely have care for the people that work with you or for you. Um, and I like to refer to that situational leadership model uh, where you have to apply different skill sets to different people. For example, I even as I was coming up through the ranks, I knew there were certain people who like to get awards, who like to be acknowledged, like to be recognized for good work, and we made it a point to do that. But I also had people who worked for me who worked very hard, did a great job, and didn't want any of that. They just wanted their day off when it was due. You know, and so a good leader sort of recognizes, understands where people are, where they're coming from, um, you know, and works with them in their own sort of capacity, but also, you know, tries to push people uh, to do a little more and do a little better and find the best in themselves. If you're just coming in every day uh, and doing and doing the work, then it's just a job. But it's a real career and real opportunity when people are pushed uh, to do better, whether it's within, within their own position or whether it's because they want to you know move up the ranks or promote. So a good leader finds that about people, understands that, and helps develop it. Right. And... Uh, Carmen, as African-Americans, you know, most of us had instilled us from a very young age that we have to be twice as good to be seen as equal. Um, did you find that to be true in your career? And does that aspect or ratio change when you add in uh, being a woman in a field that is prime, that's primary demographics are white men? Yeah, I, I actually, you know, believe in the premise of that saying uh, because, uh you know, it's never, it's not been equal playing field. I think we have to acknowledge that. It just has not been equal playing field historically. So for people um, of color and black people particularly to, you know, rise up, it, 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 there's definitely that feeling of what, what's been framed as a black tax, you know, the extra that you have to do to make it 
I don't think that that's a fantasy. I think that there is some real legitimate uh, and, and uh, researched information that will say that that is very true. Uh, that said, um, you know, things are evolving and getting better as we have more push toward diversity. I know people don't like to hear diversity and equity and inclusion all the time, but the fact of the matter is, as organizations, as corporations, as industries start pushing toward that, um, it does help to level out the playing field. Uh, and it is much tougher, I think, for uh, people of color, people who have maybe immigrants who have an accent. Uh, people will make some, you know, some uh, observations, you know, right or wrong about that. Certainly women in the workplace, uh, as you know, there's still a, a wage gap uh, that exists between men and women. So all of those things are legitimate and they're not, um, they're not anecdotal. You know, they're researched uh, and there's a real evidence of that. And at the same time, I think there is a push to, to turn that and to change that around. Right. And, and Carmen, when we talk about leadership, I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot is the fact that your your core uh, group of people um, that you can really confide in, you know, shrinks dramatically. And sometimes it can be even a, a place of, of isolation to a certain extent. Uh, can you talk a little bit yeah. about the position that you were in, which is not uncommon uh, for uh, people of color, particularly black people across this country who are in high profile leadership positions, because you're seen as a leader in the black community, but you're also a leader within an organization. Uh, and in your case, one that can be at odds with the community sometimes, because I'm sure there were times when you were uh, in some lonely positions and the number of people that you could truly talk to about situations, issues, or even get peace of mind uh, is relatively slim. Uh, in those situations from a personal perspective, what are some of the things that really helps you focus or uh, remain, um, you know, healthy, both uh, from a physical and mental standpoint? Chris, I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, you're such a professional. Yeah, you know, I did. I spent some time talking about, you know, leadership can be lonely uh, within the book because, you know, often uh, you do find yourself, especially when there's a lot happening uh, and you are in the crosshairs of a lot of different people, uh, you find it's a lo- it can be a very lonely time. And for me personally, I would say there were very few who had experienced, you know, you know, even leaders that experienced all of the level of crisis that we were going through, particularly in 2020. And so, um, and you know, so it, it can be rather lonely yeah, at that point, but you really have to seek out and search um, people who are mentors and sponsors. I think mentorship is really critically important. Sometimes uh, I leaned on people and talked to people in the community uh, and got their perspective. Sometimes it was police folks. Uh, sometimes it was uh, even elected, uh, not usually city council elected, but others. But, you know, just to get uh, their understanding and perspective uh, and just sometimes to have them listen in, uh, on things. Um, you, I call that taking the sanity check, if you will, just making sure that you're coming from it from the right perspective, that voices are being heard, uh, and then uh, making rational um, decisions. Uh, but sometimes... Those decisions are, at the end of the day, they're your decisions to make. So you have to be able to take responsibility uh, for them. And that can be a rather isolating experience at times. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, Carmen, as I was listening to you talk, I was reminded from the article that was in this week's Seattle Medium that former police chief uh, Gil Kerlikowski, 
you know, he talked about the job that you did as a uh, police chief, and he said he was here for nine years, and he had to deal with a lot of things. But he was saying that was nothing compared to the things that you had to deal with when you were, uh, you know, chief of police. Um, and so it's just interesting, even when you think about people you could talk to in terms of peers, people who've kind of been there before you and paved the road, that, you know, there are situations, things that, that you deal with as somebody who's in the position now uh, or more recent than they have been, where there were things that they didn't have to deal with at all. And they, and they really can't even be, you know, too much of an assistance to you, but they can, you know, provide, I guess, their two cents worth, but it's still not quite the same of being in those situations and, and having to assess those things on your own. You know, that is exactly right. You hit the nail on the head there. Because, you know, how many people can talk about being the first? Well, no one can say, but Seattle, we were the first major city to deal with the pandemic. Now, I know it started in Kirkland, uh, but the pandemic was, you know, right here in this region. uh, And the first real large city to have to address it was Seattle. No one else had really been through that. Um, you know, no one else had been through the social, although there had been many, many issues that had come up since Rodney King and others, but the, the social reckoning after, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder during a pandemic, you know, that had, you know, there's, there's no roadmap to, to how to address any of that. And certainly I can tell you when we had the, the chat and the chop, regardless of your opinion on it. And there's a lot of different opinions about what mm. happened and what should have happened. But I can say no one else had dealt with it at all. I mean, it was a, it was a new um, experience. And so at those times, uh, you have to just sort of tackle these events, you know, try to be ethical, moral, legal, and do the best that you can uh, to make the best decisions. And there, there were decisions where nobody was happy <laughs> at, mm-hmm. on occasion. But, you know, you try to employ as much rational thought um, and care into those decisions every time you make them. Right. And, uh, Carmen, uh, let's get back to the book uh, specifically now. You know, it, who should read this book uh, and what do you hope that people take away from it? Yeah, you know, I, I would say what probably any author would say, I think this is a book for everyone. I don't think uh, there's anyone that would not, um, you know, find something important that comes out of the book. It really is focused on leadership lessons, uh, you know, things that can help people uh, you know, with their decision-making day-to-day. Sometimes people just empathize. I'll have people walk up to me and say, you know, when you talk about being in church all day on Sunday, that reminded me of my childhood. Cause we spent all day. I mean, it's something in there for, uh, you know, for almost everybody. I think that um, it, you'll find pit, uh, pieces super interesting. Uh, other parts maybe, you know, maybe won't resonate with you as much. Um, but I haven't had, and I say this, I'm trying to say this with all humility, I really haven't had anybody come up to me and say, that they hated the book or didn't like the book. You know, mostly they had either questions about it or some part of it that resonated with them. So I think it really is a book uh, for everybody. It's partially uh, biographical, but also uh, talks about real leadership situations uh, and how to work through them. Right. And, uh, Carmen, where can people get the book? Yeah, so two things. If you go to www.blackinbluebook.com, www.blackinbluebook.com, 
Uh, you'll see a listing there of all the independent and commercial retailers. Uh, but generally, um, well, you can go to Amazon and get it there. Uh, the University Bookstore has been incredibly helpful. Uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, the bookstore on Capitol Hill. I'm sorry, the name is escaping me on 11th Avenue. Uh, yeah, I'm not calling the name of that one. Yeah, I'm sorry, it'll come to me, but the, there, uh, all the local area bookstores have it, uh, so you can order it um, from Target as well. So uh, it's easy to find, uh, and people, certainly locally people, have been really gracious and wonderful about making sure that they have the books available in their stores, but you can also get them online. Right. Now, Carmen, uh, I, I believe this is a self-published uh, book of yours. I don't, I'm not sure whether or not, I'm sure people out there in listening, I was wondering if you've landed a major book deal or not, if I can ask that question, but uh, I believe it's yeah, self-published. You, yeah, you can ask uh, anything you want. No, it's actually not self-published. Um, the publisher is HarperCollins. They're a well-established publishing company based out of New York. Um, most people probably have heard of them, but it's HarperCollins published the book. Um, I had the, the benefit of, um, you know, a, a friend uh, who who suggested um, that I ended up talking to HarperCollins, and I did, and they wanted to publish the book. It was a new experience for me altogether. Uh, so I did get, you know, you know, it's not a, it's not like it made me a millionaire. If that's what people are curious about, but I did get a book deal, and they did uh, spend some time working with me on uh, getting the distribution. All right. Well, Carmen, um, I'm very happy that you were able to uh, publish this book and uh, share some so many things with people uh, in our community and across the country and around the world, really, because. So many times there's people who have the mindset that you need to figure it out for yourself. And this is something where you kind of, you know, kind of expose yourself and, um, and put yourself out there and giving people really something um, that they can use to help themselves uh, grow and, uh, from a very personal and professional perspective, no matter where they are in life. That's true. That's a great summary. Thank you. All right, Carmen. Thank you for your service. Thanks for giving back to the community in so, so many ways. Uh, and much continued success to you uh, in all your future endeavors. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And same to you and all the work that you're doing. We really appreciate you.